Those particularly looking in on us this evening will have to bear with me as I move from one spot to another. So we come once more on this Lord's Day evening to worship our God together. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you will move among us here as we meet in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you will help us while we sing, while we pray, while we hear your word read. And uh, as the word of God is preached, Lord, we ask, Lord, move among us and grant that everything that is said and done here will bring honor to your name. We pray that every heart would be touched in some way tonight. We pray, O oh God, hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen. I did mean to just read a few words from Isaiah as we come to worship. O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah the Lord is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Well, let's come and sing then. Number 55. Come, thou almighty King, help us thy name to sing. Help us to praise. Father all-glorious, or all-victorious, come and reign over us, ancient of days.
We read from God's Word in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest to all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, Every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you. To continue with you all 
for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else am absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe in on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. Well, so reads God's word, and we pray God's blessing upon it. Now our second hymn is number 580. Our life is hid with Christ, with Christ in God above. Upward our hearts would go to him whom, seeing not, we love.
Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. As we bow before you now, we do so very conscious that you are the almighty, everlasting God, creator and sustainer of all life. You are also the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all grace and mercy, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we adore you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit tonight. The Father who has loved his people from eternity past and uh, has predestinated us and called us. And Lord, we thank you for the Son who has loved us and given himself for us, who has redeemed us to yourself from every nation and tribe. We thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of God, the Comforter, the Helper. We thank you, Lord, for his work in our hearts to give us new life, to give us appreciation of the gospel, of these wonderful truths of God, to open our eyes to the loveliness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to open our hearts to uh, receive him into our lives, and uh, to help us as we walk the life of faith. We thank you O oh God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your amazing work uh, in us human beings. O oh God, we would confess our sins again before you and ask, O oh Lord, that you would cleanse us in the blood of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. O oh God, we pray you would help us not to live to self, but to live for yourself. We pray, O oh God, that you'll help us to die daily to self, and that Jesus Christ may be more and more formed in us, the characteristics belonging to him, and that we would put to death daily the characteristics of the old Adam. Lord, our God, we pray that our time together will be profitable and encouraging and uh, we pray, O oh God, that we may take heed to your word and live upon it day by day, that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus, and that our testimony before the watching world would be such as to uh, encourage others to ask questions concerning the one whom we love and serve. We pray, O oh God, that we might be bright, shining lights for Jesus, we pray that in this ungodly, wicked world, we pray, O oh God, that there would be those who will see 
the light shining from us, the light of God, the light of Jesus, and would be attracted. So help us in this. We need help. We cannot do it ourselves. Lord, we pray you'll bless this community of your people here. We pray that more would come to know and love Jesus Christ in this place. We thank you for all uh, those who seek to propagate your truth in this town. We pray that you would bless every gospel church. And Lord, we pray that you would use every minister of the gospel here, uh, that uh, more and more people come to know the Lord. But we do pray for where you've situated this place, Lord, and pray that people will come in here and pray, O oh God, that we will invite people in. Pray, O oh God, that you will save people here. We pray, O oh God, that people will be encouraged here and uplifted here and sight a light for you here. O oh God, we pray for the church generally in our nation. We are, we are in a poor way generally, Lord, and we are conscious of it. We know, Lord, that we're not what we should be. We pray, O oh God, uh, that you will take us and use us. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would revive your people and glorify your name in our time. And pray, O oh God, that, uh, Lord, you would make, uh, make it clear that there is a God in the earth, a living and true God, the God and Father of our Savior. O oh Lord, we pray that uh, men and women will see the difference between the gods of this world and, uh, and the living God. So, God, we pray, have mercy on a benighted land, and, Lord, we pray, you would uh, quicken, revive, disturb, O oh Lord, all and sundry, that, uh, Lord, a great fear of God would again come upon the land. Oh, Father, we pray for those in other lands who are experiencing persecution. Lord, we are, we are asked to pray for them as if we were there with them. And Lord, we, we are very conscious that uh, we don't know where to begin because we have very little in the way of persecution here. And Lord, we do pray for those in tremendous trouble uh, and uh, those who are put in prison for years because of their love of the Savior, of our even whole keeping a Bible. Oh God, we pray for them. So many dark spots of the world, Lord. Have mercy, O oh Lord, we pray. Lighten the darkness of these places and grant through the testimony and witness of uh, your people that things would change. And where there is darkness, gross darkness and, and uh, antagonism towards you, Oh God, we pray, light would shine, and men and women, boys and girls, turn to the Lord. And those at the top would be conscious of it and realize, oh Lord, what a change and what, what uh, a good can come from uh, believing in the Lord. Oh God, hear our prayers. And Lord, we ask now you'll continue with us here. Pray again for those not able to be with us. We pray, oh God, for those who would love to be here, but they're not well, and they're aged and can't get out and about as they once did. Lord, we pray for them. Oh, be near to them. May they be conscious of your presence. 
So we ask, Lord, that you'll continue with us and help us as we wait upon you and as we look at your word. Lighten, lighten our hearts and minds, we pray. And Lord, may we take to heart your truth and live upon it. For that we ask these mercies through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, our third hymn, number 390. Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat. Where'er they seek thee, thou art found. And every place is hallowed ground.
Well, we're looking this evening at a verse taken from that chapter we read, the first chapter of Philippians. Chapter 1 and uh, those verses 9 to 11. I'll read them again, 9 to 11, chapter 1 of Philippians. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. The Apostle Paul is an outstanding example of a man of prayer. From the moment of his conversion to his final days when he was in prison awaiting execution, his whole life was one of prayer to God. You remember Ananias, that uh, disciple from Damascus who was sent by the Lord to speak to Paul and remove his blindness after his conversion. He was told by God that he would find him praying. Right at the very beginning of his Christian life, he was a man of prayer. And then in Paul's final letter that we possess from prison, uh, he informs Timothy that he is remembering him constantly in his prayers day and night. And in fact, in all Paul's letters for the churches and individual believers, you uh, find constant references to his prayers for them. And in this, of course, he's following the great example of the Lord Jesus Christ, who spent long periods in prayer to his Father in heaven. Now here in this letter to the Philippians, written from prison, Paul expresses thanks, as you see there at the beginning, thanks to God for the Christians at Philippi, and he mentions how he is constantly in prayer for them. That's uh, in verses 3 and 4 there. But then, in these verses 9 to 11, he is actually telling them the content, something of the content of his prayers for them. And of course, this is not the only place where we have examples of the actual prayers that Paul offered on behalf of, of Christians. We must remember that these prayers of Paul are recorded as part of God's word to us to help us in our prayer life. These prayers are there to instruct us. You see, we not only have the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, we not only have so many of the Psalms, but uh, God has given us the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And all all very instructive, all of immense value 
to us. We are given specific prayer items here in verses 9 to 11. And we do well to take them to heart because, you know, Paul was never at a loss what to pray for, and especially when praying for Christian brothers and sisters. Somehow we find it difficult to pray in the prayer meeting or something. Paul would never have found it difficult. There was always something to pray for. Uh, and uh, so this, uh, I uh, believe, will help us that we will not say, well, I didn't know what to pray for. Let's just examine what Paul says here. We can be sure that the things he requested for them, he, he desired for himself. And so I, I, uh, I, I say to you this evening, do you find it difficult to know what to pray for? Take to heart the ideas of Paul here. The ideas that he has for these believers and make them your own. Uh, praying for yourself first before you pray for others. Uh, same kind of prayers. Now the first interesting thing that we notice about this prayer and it's uh, true of so many of Paul's prayers. It's a prayer for the spiritual well-being of the Christians at Philippi. He focuses on their growth as believers. If you want summary of what he's saying here, that's it. And this is very much a characteristic of Paul's prayers. Focusing on the growth of believers. Now then, what about ourselves? Is this true of your prayers for others? For people in your church fellowship here? And uh, for Christians in uh, the local churches here? In this area? You see, the kind of things that we pray for ourselves and others is often a very good indication of our own spiritual condition. So let me ask you, do you only pray for people when you know that they're in some kind of trouble and need? When they have an illness or have been involved in an accident or something? Now, of course, it's right and good to uphold people when they have physical and, and temporal needs or problems. Our Lord, for instance, taught us to pray for our daily food. That's very practical, isn't it? Very, very necessary, temporal issue, and uh, he's taught us that way. But what comes across very clearly through reading all the prayers of the New Testament is how they concentrate so much on spiritual concerns. Isn't it interesting how the Apostle Paul, in all his prison letters, nowhere asks to be released from prison. In the same way, in the, uh, in the book of Acts, in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, remember when uh, Peter and John had been released from custody because the Jewish Sanhedrin didn't like what they were preaching and uh, had told them, now don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. 
and uh, they went home, uh, they went back to their uh, church fellowship in Jerusalem there uh, and told them uh, what uh, had been said and uh, what did they gather to do? What did they pray? Well, they didn't pray that the persecution would cease. What they prayed for was that they would have boldness to preach even stronger in the face of persecution. Now, of course, we, as I've said, we can pray for people's health and uh, material needs. But the New Testament's overriding concern and Paul's deep desire was for the church's spiritual health and for the spiritual life of individual Christians. And again, in this, he's following in the steps of the Lord, his Lord and Master who said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. So for Paul, the spiritual welfare and condition of the Philippians was uppermost in his mind. Well, now then, let me ask you, what are your chief concerns in your own prayer life? Are you more concerned yourself now about your home, your house, your family, and for those of you who are young enough, your job, your ambitions, your body, well, whether we're old or young, we can be concerned about that, can't we? Well, are we more concerned about these things than about our spiritual state? If you're not spiritually minded about your own life, you'll have little or no concern to pray for the spiritual state of others. Are you giving priority to the externals of life or to your spiritual growth? If you're concerned about your own relationship to God, you will not be lost for words when praying for others. So here, in these verses, we have the Apostle Paul who tells us later that he himself wants to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and to know more of the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings, here he is praying for the spiritual life of these Philippian believers. And he doesn't deal in generalities, does he? He is very specific here. He has, he has a, a list of things. But you notice also that his prayer has the glory of God in mind to the glory and praise of God that's how he ends at the end of verse 11 the paragraph that begins with Paul thanking God for the Christians at Philippi closes with his desire to praise God now that ending to his prayer is no add on for effect or because it was the done thing as a kind of thoughtless mantra not at all the glory of God dominated Paul's whole life as a Christian and he constantly formulates his own doxologies you get, get one later here in, in, in chapter 4 the end of chapter 4 verse, 
Verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Are we eager to give God his rightful place in our lives and to worship only him? I thought it was rather moving and refreshing during the summer. Not much to thrill you on the on the news or on the uh, television uh, newspapers, but I thought it was rather refreshing to hear the Fijian rugby team at the Olympics singing a hymn of praise to God after they won. <laughs> I thought that was lovely. They, they were praising God. You know, John Sebastian Bach, the great Lutheran composer of the early 18th century. He always ended his musical scores with the Latin abbreviation SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory. Wonderful compositions of Bach, but he acknowledged God. Well, this prayer that Paul expresses of his concern for his Philippian friends is that their lives might be of such a kind as to magnify and radiate the radiance, uh, the beauty, the greatness of God from whom and through whom and to whom are all things and to praise and honor this God in the way that he deserves. Are your interests earthbound or heavenward bound? Are they self-centered or God-centered? Are you concerned for your own good name or for God's honor? Our prayers will be the stronger for having this God-centered attitude at all times. Everything to his honor. His praise, his glory. Well, what is Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi? Well, you'll notice there's quite a build-up of words in his request to God on their behalf, but there is one basic fundamental petition, and all the items mentioned are geared to this one point. We've really been saying it all along, but the prayer is, for an increase in holiness. Or, if you like, put it another way, growth in Christian living. Now, dear friends, tonight, do you rank holiness high in your thinking and praying? Well, we ought, if uh, we are Christians tonight, that should be our great concern, holiness made very clear throughout the New Testament that we are called to holiness. We are saved to live holy lives and without holiness no one will see the Lord. Well, that's pretty strong. But that's it. That's what it says. Now, if you have your eye on the great Christian hope which is mentioned here in uh, verse 10, The day of Christ, 
till the day of Christ. That's the hope that we're looking forward to, the Christian should be looking forward to. If your eye is on that Christian hope, then you will be concerned about holiness. The day of Christ is the day when he will appear in glory to judge the living and the dead and to wind up this old age and to bring in the new creation. You remember John in his uh, first letter states that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. And it follows that if we are not concerned to lead a holy life if we won't be thinking much about uh, praying for it but if we are concerned to lead a life of holiness we will pray about it and we will act accordingly and if we are concerned about our fellow believers we shall be praying that they too will grow in holiness so that we might be ready for the Lord when he returns in glory. Now, let me say at once, Paul is not proclaiming a works salvation here. He's not saying that if you try to live a holy life, we shall be accepted on the great day of judgment when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. He makes it very clear in chapter 3 here of Philippians that we are not saved by what we do. It is not our own righteousness that puts us right with God. Paul, who had lived a pretty honorable life in terms of morality, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, uh, People looked up to him. Paul considers all his law-keeping, all his status in the Jewish religion, as rubbish compared with knowing Christ. You see, we're accepted by God through his Son, and through his Son alone. Jesus the Messiah, he is the righteous one. Even the best of us, even the most godly of us, we're unclean and unrighteous and we have to ask for forgiveness every day. We're accepted by God through his Son. He's the righteous one. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight, so Isaiah tells us. True Christians are found in Christ. Singing about it in the last hymn. True Christians are found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of their own, as Paul puts it here in chapter 3, but one that is through faith in Christ. So let me ask you this evening, very important question. Has God begun a good work in you? This is what he says of these people in Philippi, that God has begun something good and new in them well has he begun in you there is no heaven without God having worked in you you must come to the end of yourself and acknowledge your own 
unworthiness, that you're not fit for God and heaven. Come into church, not fit for God and heaven. I've been all my life coming to church, not, not good enough. You must know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You must acknowledge your own unworthiness and need of him. So, dear friends, tonight, if any of you are not believers, any of you have not come this way, this way that the Bible so clearly opens up to us, Jesus is the way to God, the only way to God. And we must come to the end of ourselves, acknowledge our own sinfulness and unworthiness, and that without him, we, are, we, 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 we cannot go to God, and we cannot go to heaven. Oh, so there we are. True Christians are found in Christ. Has God begun a good work in you? You see, we can't go on unless you've begun. <laughs> can't go on in the Christian life. Can't proceed. Can't grow unless you've begun. Our standing before God is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if that is true of you, then you are given new life by God. This is true of all believers. They have new life by God. And then, and then he calls us then, you see, to live a holy life that's pleasing to him. As Christians, we are called to do the good works that God gives us to do. And Paul has thanked God here uh, that the original good work of salvation has begun in their lives. People like the Philippian jailer and his family. People like Lydia, the seller of purple. They've trusted in the Lord Jesus. These are people that were in Philippi when Paul came there, first of all. And they were converted. And they began. Now he's encouraged them to continue. The God who begins a good work in our lives is the God who will bring that work to completion when Jesus appears in glory at the second coming. But the fact that God finishes what he starts doesn't mean that we just sit back and let God get on with it in our lives. No. In bringing his plan for our lives to fruition, he calls us to work. He will tell us again another thing uh, later on in Philippians. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good will. You see? So you can't work out what God hasn't put in you. If we have salvation, then we're to work it out in our daily lives and be seen in our, our daily lives. So, he calls us to work. And there's something very mysterious about all this. I can't understand it all, and I'm sure you can't either. There's something mysterious, but the way in which God works in us to do his will is to urge us to do it, but we can only do it because God initiates the work and enables us to do it. 
and our prayers. This is the lovely thing and the wonderful thing and the encouraging thing for us. Our prayers for ourselves and for others. These also are used in God's plans and purposes to the self-same end. Isn't that fantastic? Your prayers can be used by God to help another believer. Somebody else in this church who's perhaps going through it. Your prayers for them helps them in their growth. As I say, I, it's very mysterious, the workings of God, but God is the great almighty one. And uh, he works all things to the praise of his glory. And he uses the likes of us and our prayers, they're never, you must never think of them as unnecessary as, as well, what's my little prayer going to do? Well, it's, you don't know. But God can use your little prayers for yourself and others that, uh, in order that you will arrive there in the glory. There, this is encouraging, you see, isn't it, eh? So Paul prays for his Christian brothers and sisters in Philippi that God would enable them to grow in holiness. And the holiness that Paul has in mind, of course, is ethical and uh, in nature. It's not ritualistic. It's not uh, how many times you bow and scrape or something or pour holy water on you. Nothing to do with that. Uh, it's down-to-earth, Christ-like living to the glory of God and the benefit of others. Now, you'll notice two adjectives express the two aspects of Christian holiness. They concern our inner selves and our outward behavior. You see there, uh, it uses the word sincere and without offense. Sincere or pure speaks of that inner purity of motive. Only God knows our motives. Only God knows our hearts. And many times Paul has to leave it to God to judge him when others criticize him. So that's the one thing. That's something inside sincere is a purity so the word is only found twice in the New Testament here and in uh, 2 Peter in 2 Peter it's translated pure there uh, so that's the first thing the inner self uh, the other adjective without offense or blameless can mean not causing others to stumble uh, as well as not stumbling ourselves uh, and this, of course, can be judged by others. We should endeavor to lead a life before the watching world that gives no cause of offense. Job behaved like that. And Abram was called to live a life like that. It's a tall order. Without offense. To live a sincere, pure, hearted life and uh, 
a blameless life before the watching world. No obvious fault. Of course, such fruits of righteousness can only come as we abide in Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we can do nothing, as he tells us. Abide in him. Depend on him. And so we shall bear much fruit. It's all in Christ. That's so important. You see why I'm saying about beginning right. In Christ, we must belong to him to start off. And we continue in him. And abiding in him. Depending on him. Trusting him. So we shall bear much fruit. Paul is praying for their spiritual growth as believers. And that is an encouragement for us then to pray for one another as well as ourselves. Well, to that end, we have these other elements brought in. Paul sees love as extremely important in the Christian's life. He doesn't mention any object, so we don't need to get bogged down asking whether this love is towards God or whether it's to non-Christians or whether it's to fellow believers. It's everything. It's all. We are to love. Love. This is one of the wonderful Fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? Love. It's the first thing mentioned. Uh, this love is to fill our whole beings. It is to, behind, to be behind every action that we do. Every attitude. Again, we see it in the Apostle Paul himself in his longings for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. The literal word as we've got it in the AV, bowels. We don't, better to use a word, something like affection. That's what he's talking about, the affection of Jesus Christ. And he also gives the example of Epaphroditus in chapter 2, verse 26, who has given himself to, the, uh, to loving the, the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's only as we know more and more of the love of God and uh, the love of Christ in our hearts that we shall be filled with love for others. Love for Christ should constrain us to be concerned for the lost. Love for Christ should bind Christians closer together as a fellowship and should encourage us to seek the fellowship of others who also love the Lord in truth and sincerity. Is one of the failings of the modern Christian church is probably the same all down the centuries and that's why it's emphasized so much in the New Testament starting with our Lord himself love, love one another in this you will people will see that you are my disciples if you love one another but oh dear me what sadnesses I read of and people bitter towards other Christians. It's very sad. It should not be, dear friends. It should not be. Here we are. Love for Christ should constrain us first to be concerned for the lost, of course. And love for Christ should bind Christians together more closely as a fellowship and should encourage us to seek the fellowship of others who also love the Lord in truth and sincerity. It is Christ's love in our hearts that should move us to obey the Lord in the first place and to serve him with all our beings. We love him from the heart. The new covenant that we were 
mentioned in passing this morning. Love comes from the heart to, to keep God's commandments. But Paul is not interested in a sloppy undiscerning love, which, uh, of course, you can sadly hear about from many today. You see, this love, we're told here, is to be controlled by knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. We certainly need that, you see. Uh, love, uh, it's not blind, and it's, 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 it's not, not partaking of error and false beliefs. And love should never be pitted against truth. No. It's unity in the truth of God's word should concern us. There can be no Christian life at all without knowledge of the saving truths. And faith comes by hearing the good word of God and there can be no growth in the Christian life without knowledge of the saving truth. It's by receiving more and more of God's word that we grow. Just as a baby grows first by milk and then goes on to solid, so Peter in his first letter he speaks the same, doesn't he? Of the milk of God's word for new believers and then going deeper into the word but we also need discernment as well as knowledge discernment to apply the knowledge that we receive we need wisdom to work out the knowledge of God's word in our daily lives and again as James reminds us we, James reminds us of that doesn't he we, if anyone lack wisdom ask the Lord so, you know, a lot of people uh, have got a whole bag of knowledge in their head, but they don't know how to use it, and they're most unwise, some people. <laughs> but there we are, a genuine, knowledgeable, discerning love will enable us to test and approve what is best, what is most important, says Paul here. It will enable us to determine what is valuable and what, and what will lead to holiness of life. You can't lead a holy life if you're walking in darkness, as John tells us that. Here we are living in confusing days. And uh, when worldly opinion is so different from God's truth and way for our lives as human beings. So we need sense, we need discernment to have a love that doesn't compromise truth and yet still be caring and still be winsome. A lot of people hard in the way they bring truth to people. Hard, no, that's not right. Loving, caring, understanding, winsome. You won't get anywhere if you're hard and nasty. No, you've got to be kind, winsome, but at the same time, knowledgeable and wise. Perhaps it all seems overwhelming and impossible. And we can easily fall back in despair. But that's why we need to pray for one another, you see. <laughs> and encourage one another by our prayers and by our Christian living. God is at work in us, says Paul here, both to will and to do of his good work, with good pleasure. What he has begun he will complete. Take that to heart. 
That's encouraging. And it is through Jesus Christ, our sufficiency, that we shall progress and be full of the fruits of righteousness, as Paul mentions here. He died and rose again to Jesus to save us and to keep us through to the day of his appearing in glory. So, dear friends, this evening, press on to the honor and praise of God's holy name. Keep one another in your prayers so you will grow together and be a blessing also to others. May God's word encourage us and strengthen us and help us tonight. Amen. Well, we are going to close with an old hymn, 689, Take Time to Be Holy. Speak oft with thy Lord, abide in him always, and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children, help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.